You are listening to the 9010 rule. 90% business, 10% music. If you wanna go, let's go, eh. 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 On the replay, eh, eh, on the replay. After tonight, I'm out of sight Don't worry about that And just move your body Little baby say you wanna take a ride Wanna feel like we impressed and never got it I got a feeling slow, way behind rocket Now he's talking about what we doing after tonight I wasn't trying to make up some type of way Loving everything about me, love the way I sway Oh yeah, 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 yeah Oh yeah, 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 yeah Baby boy, let's take a ride I'ma make you feel so alive Keep me on replay. What? She done fell in love with the DJ. What? I done fell in love with the Coco. Hey, we can't fall in love, that's a no no. Hey, don't be a buzzer, clown girl. One up, never down girl. Hey, do you wanna roll? Is you down girl? Hey, pull around town, top down girl. You would be my down girl if it was up to me. You should branch from them lanes and get up with me. You should let me take you out, baby, come with me. Cause I heard he won't even buy you something to eat. No flex, shout no flex, no. Shawty send me pictures to my iPhone We in different states, different time zones She got somebody, so I got the time wrong Don't fall in love, ain't gon' treat you right Promise by the end of the night, you won't be my boy I'm tryna make the most of the night So baby, you down for the ride And I'm my type, but I guess it'll be alright Fly it in the first class flight You can go up, baby, you just get a high Swing in this for life, boy, you know my heart on Pond to Replay by We Are Charm. You can contact them on Instagram and all other social media at We Are Charm. That's We, the letter R, Charm, here on the 9010 Rule. If you wanna go, let's go in. Pond to Replay. 
artists. If you want your music featured on the 9010 rule, email us your songs and notice of approval to play my shit at the 9010rule.com. All submissions without written consent will not be considered. Today on the 9010 rule. You know, it's a lot of people that be like walking around here like, yeah, man, you know my album. Well, fool, they making you put your whole catalog out there for free because they taking it. They don't want you to have any value in your intellectual property. So give me a mixtape of 30 songs that you gave away. And you don't care about the intellectual property. You don't even know you own it. You don't even know that people get writer's block and they take your lyrics and they take your verses and they stick it in their rhymes and they gonna make money off of you. Because you don't know the game. And ignorance is the is the biggest form of, you know, of come up their ears. So when people see me coming, they like, take that damn Superman off your chest, nigga. You educating these people and we can't get paid no more. That's why people walk around here with their guard up because they be like, man, you know, they they, they just feel like somebody, they, they feel raped, but they don't understand. They, they were the whole reason they got raped in the first place because you walked in there with the I know attitude. You walked in there with the they said. You walked in there with the, man, I got this. I'm already a star. Okay, star. I'm going to put you in a room where you're around other stars. And then we're going to say, man, you just got to sign this, man, and we're going to come up. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the 9010 Rule. I am Kevin Davis, and I also have Brian Jennings with me. What up, B? What's going on, man? What's going on, listeners? And indeed, today in the studio, I got, oh man, a special treat, yo. Mr. Kevin Shine, CEO of the firm, former A&R consultant to the senior VP of Jive and head A&R for Universal. Kev, what up, man? What up, what up, what up? Hey, people. Good to have you in the studio, brother. Man, man, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a pleasure, I know, you know, to always get a chance to talk to the people, you know what I'm saying? Dig that. Well, we're going to get to it, man. Matter of fact, um, let me see. Where should we start? Well, for the people that don't know, like I know your your history and, and the things that you've been doing and, and people you work with. You want to tell them a little bit about how you got started and uh, kind of what you got going on right now? Man, I made a whole bunch of mistakes and then somebody said, stop. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That's the short version. <laughs> for real, for real. I mean, really, to be honest, like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was lucky, man. I had, um, you know, I dived into this just helping some young brothers out. Um, I was going to Columbia College, and one of my play brothers had like a little pantomime group, and, um, we just one day we were sitting in rehearsal and this dude just started singing. I'm like, what the hell are we sitting around here? Acting like nobody been panamatic and folding him motherfucking sing. <laughs> so uh, I kinda um I took him and um I had already known this one dude, you know, through us doing the little talent show circuit, um, named Felony Davis, and I stuck him in the group. And Felony, you know, y'all know him as the lead singer from Public Announcement. So um, I took him, put him in the group, and then um, one of the members of the, uh, the lead singer, his cousin was in an audition one time. We 
took him because he was like, he had that show you right voice, that Barry White, nice, pretty, you know, GQ look. Show you right is it? Yeah. Show you right. Yeah, that show you right look. Yeah. <laughs> so we we his cousin. What was so funny about the story is, like, he invited his brother. His, his brother's almost like his twin. So he's sitting there. He just sang about eight songs to me, and then the cousin ain't singing nothing. He just sitting there just in in the meeting, and I'm looking at him. He like. He said, yeah, yeah, you ought to. And I'm like, do you sing? Because, you know, I'm looking at this dude like, do you sing? He's like, man, you know, <laughs> yeah, man, a little something, you know. Like, dude, sing something. So he sang. He sang one thing, and I like, I forgot all about the brother. <laughs> they sang eight songs. <laughs> he, like, he was, you know, somebody just singing their heart out because they really, you know, they think they're about to make it. Right. And, he, and this dude wasn't doing nothing. Like, he just like we were just saying, you just in the room. And he just, I just picked him. And um, and we uh, ended up winning the Apollo in New York. And we ended up getting a deal uh, eventually. And that led to me being in the music business. Yeah, you know, that was kind of the beginning. And uh, But I was, like, doing it without no knowledge. I was doing it with a lot of instinct and just thinking like, man, you know, we got to do this, we got to do that. I'm just winging it. And um, so I kind of, you know, while me doing that, it put me in a position where um, I was learning a lot about new edition because when we were doing the Panama thing, we were doing new edition. So I happened to luck up and get down, he was Jack the Rapper, met Brooke Payne, and um, he let me hang out with him. You know, and so I'm like literally, you know, around him. This is when Johnny Gill first put his album out, and I'm hanging around him. And, you know, one of the funniest parts of the story was one time we was coming from Johnny Gill's rehearsal, and these people like, man, I really want you to hear my song, and I want you to perform. And he say, my man going to stay and watch you, and he going to come back and tell me, what you know, what y'all think. So I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? I, I ain't nobody like so I gotta act like I was somebody now. And they they performing all hard and sweating. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm like I'm nobody. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and they performing hard. I mean, and they finish when they finish. I mean, we in the lobby and they like they had dance routines, full steam, and everything. It's like a full production. It was just like wow. I was like wow. Really like well, I ain't nobody, you know. But it was like, and, and so after they finished performing, I was just like, yo, you know, man, I appreciate y'all, man. That was dope, man. Y'all, you know, just keep working, man. We gonna, I'm gonna let Brooke know what y'all did, man. How hard y'all was working, man. And you know, and maybe we gonna get back to y'all. Thank you, Mr. Shine. I'm like, so then I, after that, you know, um, I'm hanging with Brooke. And a friend of mine, um, she's a photographer, and Brooke was like, man, I'm going to need a photographer. I'm like, oh, let me get my friend. So she took some pictures, and then I brought her, I hooked him up with about two or three other people, and I get to, I got to hang out and help. And then next thing you know, when I, you know I'm walking around with him, and um, this guy named Carl Washington said, what do you do? And I say, um... I'm just, you know, I'm here with this, you know, group, but, you know, Brooke, you know, I'm just hanging out with Brooke. He said, do you, in the industry, what do you do? I'm like, no, I'm just, you know, learning. He said, well, you know, you want to come work with me at a label? I'm like, what label? He's like, A&M. I'm like, where you at? He said, I'm in Chicago. I'm like, ain't you from Chicago? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, like well, when we get home, he'll take my number down and 
call me when you get back to the house. I like your energy. I like the way you move. You got something watching you. You like really seem like you. And he watched, he actually saw me watching the group. And then he saw me with Brooke. And then he saw me <laughs> and he told me everything I did. He was just like, man, I watched you. And you know, I see you were like, so I'm like, oh, so I get back to Chicago and I'm going to meet with this dude because he had just got his position in the records. He's like, yeah, so uh, I want you to take these uh, numbers down. And, uh, you know, I want you to go call all these radio stations and record stores. And you're in the theater, right? Yeah, use your theater voice. Like, be like, yeah, you know, someone, yeah, you know, y'all, uh, how did, y'all got that record? You know, you got this, I'm like, up there, like, doing that, you know, playing. And, like, he likes, yeah, yeah, that's what I want you to do. Like, I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> this is crazy. He like, you know, and then he was like, okay, so tonight we're going to go to this, uh, I'm going to give you some tickets and once you meet me backstage. I'm like, where we going? See Janet Jackson. Oh, wow. So I met Janet. I was like, I'm in the music business. <laughs> and it's like it's the first week you were there. I'm in the music business. I done went from hanging with Brooke Bain and meeting New Edition and Eddie Murphy and helping and critiquing groups and now I'm working at Andrew. I'm like, just think you could you know, be the, the a Panama artist right now. I'm just tripping, man. It's just like I couldn't <laughs> believe all that was happening. It just happened so fast, and you don't really understand like. You know, like this thing happens, you know, when you when you're in that circle, you meet people, but you don't they don't educate you as much. They just kinda you just get in the whirlwind. And I'm I'm and I made a whole bunch of mistakes because I did get you know, you get a little big headed. You know, you meeting all these people, you doing all this stuff, you get a little big headed and you don't get the education and you don't get the people around you to tell you. And just as quickly as you come into the play, you can fall out. And uh, when I found myself falling out of the play, it was because I was just making a lot of just decisions. I didn't know what I was making, that I was making bad decisions. I didn't know I was doing things the wrong way. And luckily, one day I was reading this magazine about this dude because I was really down on myself. I was really feeling down about a lot of stuff because I had a lot of people starting to hate on me and I didn't know how to deal with that. So I was real emotional about it. You know, you almost kind of want to lash out and fight people and just go off on people. And so... Um, I was reading this magazine about this guy named Ernie Singleton, and um, it said in there, yeah, he helped Gladys Knight, he had Patti LaBelle, he did this for New Edition, da 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 and he loved helping develop young executives, and I'm like, where the hell are you? You know what I'm saying? So I used to volunteer a lot at conferences and stuff like that to be like the panel guy, because I got to meet all the executives, and then I would also help with the showcases and stuff like that, okay. so... So that gave me a chance to be around them and listen to their conversation and hang out and build my name up. And so I had to uh, get this record called Love Overboard played um, during this luncheon. And that's by Gladys Knight. So I'm like getting the record. So the guy like asking me, can you play this? You know, the lady asked, can you play our record again? So I played it a couple of times. She said, man, you, my boss want to meet you. So I walk over and this dude from the magazine, I'm like, oh my God. What I'm gonna say to this dude, like he like, man, I appreciate you. Come eat lunch with me. <laughs> like for real, he like, yeah, he like come in, you know. So he like, we had lunch, and he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm just rambling. I don't know what the hell I was saying. I just was talking so fast because I was just like excited to meet him and be in his presence because he's the head of the damn major label, you know. And um, he just really let me hang out. He just brought me around, let me hang. I like you. He let me hang out with him and 
eventually, like, I used to be in rooms with him, with Kadar Massenburg, major executives. I'd be like, listening to them have conversations, I'd be like, man, I wish I could go tell somebody what the hell I'm hearing. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, this is some major information, like, you know, that people need to know, like, you know, why they like you, why they don't like you, what they think of you, what they doing, what this artist is doing, what this artist can't do. Da, da, da. They just haven't, you know, he, I'm like, why is this man letting me be in these kind of conversations? He just let me be a fly on the wall and let me be around him. And um, he, uh, I think one, it, what happened, what really brought it full circle for me is one night I was at home and he had told me about some people who were in a real position in the industry. And he was at this luncheon in, in L.A., and he said some people were saying some bad stuff about me to him. And, like, don't mess with him. He hard-headed. He don't listen. He said, well, no, what I see, I don't see that. I don't see he's that. I see a person with that need guidance. And I I'm, I'm want, I want to stick with him because I think that I can help him. And it's just like when you hear that on the phone after so many people doubting you, man, you're like, man, you just break into tears, man, because you're like, man, this is like, this is emotional. Like, this dude, he could have like easily, like, he had no reason to have no loyalty to me, you know what I'm saying? But he really stuck by me. He really, from that moment on, he became my mentor. Like, he really let me be with him and be around him and see stuff and, and learn stuff. And then he used to really schooled me about this business and, like, the difference between, you know, talent and record business and the whole nine. And, you know, and then one day we were just having a general conversation. And he just said, you know, I gave it to you. Now you got to give it back. Well, I got a question for you, though, before we move any further. So I know that, you're, you know, you're saying that, you know, he took a chance on you, but there had to have been something that you were doing that caught his attention. What do you think that was? What are, what are the things you think you were doing right? I was just being sincere about everything that I, was happening to me and that was going on. I never I never said anything to him to try to impress him. I really almost kind of just, he would ask me straight up questions and I would just tell him what I felt. And he would go, no, I think that was the wrong decision. I think you shouldn't have did it that way. I think you should have think about this. And then one time he just told me, you're the blame for a lot of that because before you really knew what it was you was a part of, you start assuming you were already a part of it. Mm. And you're not. You haven't done anything. You haven't earned anything. You haven't sold anything. So how are you, know, just because you, like you said to me in a kind of casual conversation, just because you standing next to me or you in the room with me don't mean you in the business. Mm where are your credentials that say you are in the business? Where are the things that define you being who you say you are? And so you like, you can know all, you can be, know a lot of stuff. You can know the business, you can know the people and everything. But at the end of the day, the humility of it is when you have to think about what have you done to earn people's respect and what are you done to, you know, even qualify you to say what you say. That's real. That's real, cause uh, and uh, especially once 
as as a new artist or executive or anyone that's like getting into the industry for the first time, once you feel like you're there, once you feel a little confident about it, right. you do get a little outside of yourself. Yes, you, you do, do. feel like, cause especially if this is something that you've been dreaming about since you were a child, mm-hmm. once you finally make it, yep. yeah, you kind of in awe. No, it's not that. It's the ladies. Once the ladies start paying attention to you, <laughs> that's when you switch. Well, that's when it takes. That's, that's when you go that's through the roof. That, well, that's part of it. But you know what? Really, it, 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 this business is a drug. It is a rush. It is. It, it, it does things. It, it does get inside of you, and it does. There's a spirit that takes over your body and takes over your mind and makes you do things differently than you ever make you walk a little bit different. Like I've seen some dudes, you be like, that dude ugly as hell. But he's just got this vibe about him and this swag about him and the way he carries up and he can attract the prettiest girl just because his confidence is high and he just feel it. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, so it ain't, you know, it's just something that you, I seen this industry do to people that change. I, I was one of the funniest stories I used to tell when I was on tour. And it used to be this guy, he was he used to wear these plaid, these plaid suits, these polyester plaid ass suits. And we used to be like, why? You're the guy that runs this whole thing. And so we literally backstage and, you know, this girl is back there and she's like, and she's like getting ready to, you know, she's back there with, you know, one of the groupies. She's about to go get with one of the stars and stuff. So he, she's sitting back there. So he go, who you with? She said, who you with? He like, well, you know, excuse me. She's like, you mean, you know, I'm just waiting on him, blah, blah, blah. I'm with him. So she talking like she ain't, you know, he like, well, right now you ain't with nobody. You about to be out of here. So he kicked out. And like, you don't know who he was because you just like, you didn't look nothing like the dude running the damn thing. Right. You just, you know what I mean? be the ones. But I'm just Those saying, be you the know, ones. we don't, we, we just really sleep on things like, you know, that's... That's when, you know, you start really paying attention to little things. Like, you just go, wow, you better pay attention. This industry can can really educate you. Like, even when we, I used to be around Luke. Like, Luke used to scare the hell out of us, man, because he would just do the wildest stuff. Like, we was actually in Cleveland, and he was on stage, and he pulled his girl up on stage, and, you know, and then she, you know, he pulled her, you know, he pulled her dress up. So she slapped him, and he turned her around and kicked off stage with a steel toe boot. And it turned out to be a sheriff's daughter, man, when, that, when the mugs was coming to arrest all of us. Man, we were just running out of the building. <laughs> like, we all know what we was going we just No one didn't want to get arrested. Dudes was getting all, we were running down blocks, all kind of stuff. And they were like, arrest everybody. Oh, oh, oh. And he was gone. <laughs> of course. <laughs> He ain't nowhere in the building. We all <laughs> running, trying to get up out of there. He should you know have been I mean? the first one to go. <laughs> and we don't know where we was going. We was like, man, get to the hotel. However you get to the hotel. He just would do wild stuff. Like, he have girls trying to outstrip his strippers, you know, and then they would, his strippers would leave the room and leave them in there. You know, it'd just be wild <laughs> stuff going on, man. We'd be scared. We gonna get locked up. <laughs> we gonna get kicked out the hotel, all kind of stuff. But you know, at the same time that you scared, you participating. Right. True. Cause you like, you know, you wilding out with them because it's just the energy of this business and being around that whole all of this stuff, man. You just see some of the wildest stuff, but you just be like, man, I wanna be a part of it. Okay, so this this executive takes a chance on you. He sees something in you. Finish finish that part of the story. I didn't want to break you away from too no, far. No, no, no. I mean, so 
I mean, you know, and the reason I'm telling you this this story is because, and and I chose to share this story with y'all is because when when you when you're getting in this business and you're, you're you know we always talking to people about being educated and getting educated, you know, if I didn't have this man in my life to to put me in these kind of rooms to let me see the kind of things he showed me. I mean, I could just see the mistakes better. You know, I couldn't see none of my mistakes prior to him. I could never see anything I did wrong till I was really a, in an environment with a person who really helped me see, like, something as simple as, you know, um, your opinion. We have thought. And so, in our mind, sometimes we share our thought. The first thing you need to know, timing is everything. You know what I'm saying? Y'all remember the part of the Godfather when dude shared his thought? <laughs> <laughs> and you remember what his father said? Well, Don't the- ever let them know what you thinking. Right. What's wrong with you? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because he that it's timing. He could have said that later. But his he became overwhelmed with my thought and my opinion, and so it just it be the littlest things that you don't even pay attention to that you don't know how you're creating an impression or you're creating or you're you're, you're a sore thumb in the room or just little things you got to learn. Like it's it's not always about the business either. It's really so much about the relationship and so much about the game and learning how to strategize your mindset versus the person you sitting in front of. It's very important to, to know how people perceive you. If you're, if you're not aware of that type of thing, you can make a lot of mistakes just off that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and you know, and, you know I'm, of course I don't smoke or drink or get high, which some people don't really smoke, drink, or get high, just do it because they just want to They want to be in that room. And some people just like, that's their vice. So some people play you on your vice. They'll, they'll give you an abundance of everything that you say you are. I've seen it, you know what I'm saying, where they use it against you. I've seen people with a lot of money, and then they go get high with these dudes and all like that, and then they get to hanging. And while they hanging, they forking out that money. And these dudes like, yeah, we got to go on tour. Yeah, we got to be in Miami next week. Yeah, we got to go fly to L.A. and do this and that. And then they, before they know it, their money gone, and then them phone calls don't get answered no more. Because, you, you know, mm-hmm. you ain't thinking. You ain't in the, you ain't seeing what's going on. You know, it's a lot of people that be like walking around here like, yeah, man, you know my album. Well, fool, they making you put your whole catalog out there for free because they taking it. They don't want you to have any value in your intellectual property. So give me a mixtape of 30 songs that you gave away and you don't care about the intellectual property. You don't even know you own it. You don't even know that people get writer's block and they take your lyrics and they take your verses and they stick it in their rhymes and they gonna make money off of you because you don't know the game. And ignorance is the, is the biggest form of, you know, of come up their ears. 
So when people see me coming, they like, take that damn Superman off your chest, nigga. You educating these people and we can't get paid no more. That's why people walk around here with their guard up because they be like, man, you know, they, they, they just feel like somebody, they, they feel raped. But they don't understand. They, they were the whole reason they got raped in the first place. Because you walked in there with the I know attitude. You walked in there with the they said. You walked in there with the, man, I got this. I'm already a star. Okay, star. I'm going to put you in a room where you're around other stars. And then we're going to say, man, you just got to sign this, man. And we're going to come up. Don't think about, man, we about to be on tour tomorrow. And they'll actually mean it. They'll let you open up and do your little shows and whatever because they own you at this point. So they, they job to help you make money. So the, the idea that I know people are saying right now as they're listening to this, they're saying, but everybody has always told me I'm supposed to fake it till I make it. So then what do you say to that? No, what I say to that is, is that it's a choice. It's your choice. I can't tell you what you should do. I can just tell you that at the end of the day, you're going to be judged by the result. And the result means that either you showcase the, you are a decision maker and you can make productive decisions or you're not and you can't make productive decisions. And if you can't make productive decisions, then why would I trust you with money? Why would I trust you with authority? Why would I trust you to be in, to even walk around me? It's, it's, it's funny to hear you say, well, not funny, but hearing you say that now, it kind of piggybacks on what you were talking about when you originally got started. And, and this is a point where a lot of people mess up when they're trying to get into the music industry because they fail that invisible interview. Yes. That like the famous invisible interview, yes. like where you don't know that we're watching. Right. You don't know that we're taking notes. You don't know that we're paying attention, but we got you. Right. We got you. Yeah, right. go ahead. Do your thing. Yeah, man. Drink up. Smoke this. Yeah. Do your thing, man. Go yeah. for it. All the girls was looking for you, man. Yeah, go ahead. And that Do is, your thing. That especially sucks if that's not even who you are. But you can't. But see, the problem is, is that, it, you know, like, I'll give you an example. Like, I had an artist, and literally how I found this artist, I used to manage Kevin Shakespeare Briggs, who did Bills, 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 No Scrubs. I used to manage him. I discovered Kevin. And so... um, we were in Chicago. He lived in Chicago. We 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 heard from this guy who was in Chicago who kind of worked for A&M that he was looking for a male artist. So we went in the snow way yay high to go to this kid's house because we heard him sing. He sounded like Al Green on the phone. And so we went all the way to his crib in the snow to hear him play on the piano in his crib. And so... This kid is literally on the west side of Chicago and you know in this, in a bad neighborhood. And we went and we listened. We're like, yeah, we gotta work with this kid. We're gonna take him in and all like that. So at that, you know, when I finally um introduced the kid to one of my partners, we ended up getting him signed to Mike Tyson, who had just got a deal, distribution deal through Def Jam. So 
Never, wow. never even knew that. Yeah, never knew that. Yep. And um, Michael Blue Williams, who ran Outcast, was running our label. Jimmy Henchman was the person who referred Michael Blue Williams to the situation, and Kevin and Leor was cultivating this with Mike because he had the money. And at this time, Mike, you know, had a deal. You know, he was, you know, he had just got out of jail. This was the he was trying to, you know, he wanted to do something with music, and so he had. One little, he had a girl from down here, and then named Donnie, and then he had my kid. And so he, you know, with my kid, he was like his son almost. Like he would just have his kid come hang out with him and be around him. And then you had a kid who literally would be around millions of dollars and stars. And then in a breath, you would just send him home, and he had to go home with this. Aura of being in the business and being around all that. Now you back on the west side of Chicago in this bad neighborhood. Do you know what that does to you mentally? Do you know what that, just that alone, like it just, you, you're willing to do anything at that point. You're willing to sign anything at that point. Because you just want to be away from that. And you got a taste. Oh, yeah. And, and, and furthermore, it's like you feel like the fantasy is real. Yeah. I was just there. Yeah. I was just there. Yep. And see, what, what happened to us was when we did have black music departments, we were able to somewhat police it because we knew we had people in there that understood our people running those companies, running the, the labels and the divisions. But now what happened was is that when they just when they kind of separated and disbanded the black music departments, what they did was they kept the rap, and they made that the centerpiece of the of the of the division. It wasn't the centerpiece at first. Singers were the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. Then rappers now are the centerpiece. They took the singers and they shifted them into the pop music side of the industry, and they and because they were complaining about they felt they were equal to all of the white artists. So they felt like, man, you're holding us back, keeping us in the black music side. So they moved them all into the pop music side. And so now that you're in the pop music side of the industry, now you're finding out that you're not popular right out the gate, that you still need that cultivating but you can't get it now because you're in you're in the popular area. So now you gotta go from zero to a hundred overnight. You gotta go, you no longer get the right to get developed anymore because you didn't want that. You were like, I'm ready to go. So we're gonna teach all of y'all a lesson. Now you gotta reach, you gotta meet this standard right out the gate. Right out the gate. Ain't going to be no development no more. Get rid of all of that. That costs money. We're going to get rid of all that. Give them all those tools, anything we were using, give it to them. Create a way for them to create this in their house. Create software. Create Because most of this was Sony and all these different type of companies. So they just created, they just gave us all the software and all the stuff and said, let them do it they self. We just want a finished product. So now you're no longer getting the help that you were once getting. So you don't when you were complaining about them three to five million million records. Now check it out. Now we switched it. Now it's now if you sing, you are a hip hop artist. If you're in the mainstream black music, right? If you don't want to be in the mainstream black music, then you have to be 
adult contemporary. Anybody who can really, really, really sing, they consider them adult contemporary. And you know what that's another word for? Old. Old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I had an artist that went through that. He wanted to appeal to 18 to 25-year-olds, but because he was really a singer, we, had, we were forced over to, there, right. yeah, we were forced then, to go to the contemporary. And then if you don't want to be that, then you try to be on the pop side, but you're not really pop, so you're not really Taylor Swift, right? So now you got to be rhythmic. <laughs> so you don't, you don't, you're like, man, what happened to R&B? Where's the R&B at? Where's, so all those artists that make that type of music, you know what I'm saying? I remember one time when 106 and Park was existed, they actually put Lettucey on 106 and Park. And I sat there and watched it like, who the hell is she singing to? Nightmare. That's a nightmare. Right. And they did it. It's like, it's really like funny. And then like last night, I seen something that I I, I just I just I was ready to fall on the floor and laugh about. Cause the hip hop awards was on MTV with BET on it. Which means that they coming for that. All the same company. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying. Well, Viacom, coming Viacom on VH1, but I'm MTV, saying, but they come, Why are you showcasing BET on MTV? Awards, right. <laughs> Wish they never do that. You get what I'm saying? But they did. They Didn't they show the VMAs on BET? I don't no. think so. No, it they don't go the other way. No. I don't think it goes the other way. Not yet, no. anyway. They never gonna do that. They gonna rob the other from the other direction. They never gonna do that. Yeah. That's my point. And saying this is because when when you when you once you over here, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Once you're in that that particular situation, they can phase this out now. They've been they haven't had a, a, a avenue to phase hip hop out yet. Because it's not it's still breaded in the streets and it's still breaded. So now you take always will be. But I'm saying, but now you take the fact that the, the street dudes is financing it from here and then it's going to the corporate so you add that money to it and now you want to know why you have millionaires in hip hop and you don't have the same amount of millionaires in singing because now it's not uh, it's not set up for us to do that so now it's easy because in the pop side it's easy for them to walk in and be Sam Smith, to be Justin Timberlake, to be these kind of things, and do it. Because they're still doing real music from a Grammy perspective. We're trying to be, we're just thinking about getting paid, bling, bling. We're not thinking Grammy anymore. We're not trying to make real records anymore. And when we do, we're, we're being kind of put underneath or grouped in. And then when you get grouped into the pop music side, who is your audience? Because it ain't black. True. And when you got black people saying, I don't want to be black, I want to appeal to white, you already lost your identity. Because that's where everybody thinks the money's at. Like, even, even <laughs> in the last that's five where years. That's they put the money right. at. That's where the money is, No, they is, put right. the money there. It's, it's the carrot. But even in the last, what, five or six years, like, I've never seen artists, like, rap artists, that, like, for instance, Nicki Minaj, right? When Nicki came out, she was doing rap, and she was trying to get that market, right? But once she felt no, like she, she got the door to pop, when she felt like she got the door to pop, she went pop. No, I'm going to tell you what happened. Deborah Antney had me sit in her office and played me Nicki Minaj. And I went to Wayne Williams and said, would you be interested in this girl? Because I think she dope. Because all I heard was pop records. I didn't hear all the urban stuff didn't impress me. 
I like the pop records a lot, and Deborah played them for me. And I'm telling you this, this is a real true story. And I went to Wayne, like, yo, and Wayne just didn't want to get into no female artists at the time because of maintenance and all of that. He didn't want to deal with it. And so I had said to somebody in a conversation after that, I said, you know what? I said, if Prada had did a label and they signed a female artist, that artist would blow up overnight. Because at this point, it's just all you need is that brand, that respected brand to get behind somebody, right? And it's gone. It don't have to be a label. It just it has to be a respected brand. Mm-hmm. And Nikki just happened to be the perfect person because she already was doing pop. So Wayne just basically just said, we can't go there yet. You got to do this. So that we can go to that. So when he was doing the I Am Human albums and all like that, that's how he got it. Like you can, I can, I can showcase you over here, but over here, this is who you got to be. You know what I'm saying? So she had to do the urban stuff to break, but she always wanted to do the pop stuff. That was in her heart. That's what she wanted to do. I'm saying, dude, it's it's like when you see what's really going on um, in this game, and you look at people. Um, even with my journey, right? Going back to Ernie, right? Ernie is the reason I'm doing. I, I I went and taught music business at Columbia College in Chicago because of the rule he told me I had to give it back, right? That turned out to be me bringing a whole generation of executives and new artists to the table. I'm responsible for the interns. So when I hit, you know, so even to Clark, who is part of the interns and co-sign, I put them together. And he's coming to my conference because I'm his big brother, (laughs) you know, in that respect. You know, I helped a lot of people, man. I put a lot of people on in this game. I helped a lot of people, a lot of people who are executives, a lot of people making millions of dollars, money. I helped them, man. And, and, And one of the stories that I always tell everybody is, I'm teaching at Columbia College, and we, you know, we do a music conference. At that time, we was like seven students in the room. I wasn't even part of the, you know, the school at that time. I, you know, I helped them do their first business plan to raise money to do their music conference. They, they needed four thousand dollars. I helped them raise six. They fly in all these executives. They do all that stuff. The next year, that it blew up to seven hundred. I mean, to a thousand. I mean, to a hundred people in the. Um, in the organization. What does that mean? That that means that now we we're we're a staple in the industry. We now are the new voices. I'm getting them internships at major labels. They're getting put on. They're getting in and so we throw a conference and at our next conference that we throw, I tell Kanye, come be on the on the panel. I tell No ID, come be on the panel. I fly in, Big John Platt. And then a friend of mine calls me from New York and she says, I got this new hip-hop a and I mean, this new A&R that I really, from this new label, and I really want to put him on. What's his name? Hip-hop. What's the label? Rockefeller. What's Kanye West's story? Hip-hop is his manager. No idea is his mentor. Big John Platt is his publisher. That all happened from us.
hear the sound of your car, sound of your car Pulling away, pulling away It's way too easy now You know we can push it too far, push it too far What did I say, what did you say Gentlemen, you're listening to Cameron Corvey right here on the 9010 Rule. Go ahead and check him out online. Hashtag Cameron with a K, A M E R O N C O R V E T. Cameron Corvey, right here on the 9010. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about the conference? Because you kind of mentioned it a little bit. Well, you know. Um I've always like when I when I you know and I just kind of segue this and then go back into the story. When I was in college, um, I was a theater student, and um, I remember as a theater student um, when I was getting into the top when I got into the top class and directing my directing class um, at the at Columbia College. Um, I noticed that I was in a room full of um, white 
students, and it was just me. And so I was like, first I want to, I'm going to flex. So I'm going to do an all-white cast place so I can just show them I can do it. So I did one and flexed and just tore it up. Just like everybody like, okay. So Kevin, now I'm like one of the top directing students in this class full of white students. So I said my next play I'm going to do, I'm going to do a play. Um, I wanted to do Raisin in the Sun. So I, I kind of went, I didn't even do the audition. man. I wouldn't pick people all outside of it, did it the way I wanted to do it and all like that. So I took, there's a play by Langston Hughes about what is a Raisin in the Sun. So I take that and stick it at the beginning of the, uh, the you know, it was supposed to do one act and I did that. So I remember after we did it and I, we did the play, people came, it was in the audience, they crying, and oh man, that was great. So I'm flexing again, you know, like, man, I'm one of the top directors. My teacher almost tore my ass up in the class. He's like, nigga, that poem ain't part of the damn play. You don't just decide you're gonna do what the hell you want and all like that. He's like, you getting a D, and I should give your ass an F. And he tore me up in front of them white students, man. And I went to my, I went to the, you know, the co-chair of the department. He don't like me. He braces. I went off and shit, man. <laughs> Cussing him out every way I could. He said, no, nah, Kevin, you, you wrong. He love you more than he love anybody in that room. But he, he feels you, you know, you, you need to come down a peg and just really focus on what the story what, Stop trying to embellish and do all you, your way. Learn the basics first and then build on that. You know what I'm saying? Play your position. Quit flexing. Yeah, quit flexing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but my point in saying that is, is that I found a lane that nobody was in. And what I learned was after that was I looked around at all the plays for that year. I mean, including the ones I wasn't directing, including the fact that I'm in a room full of white student directors and then the the, the the faculty is white directors and all like that. And I'm like, we only getting one black play, maybe two a year. So if I'm the top directing student. I need to be doing black plays because the black students aren't getting seen enough. And, and my two black plays can add to that. So by me just adding two more black plays to the to the you know the bill, more student black black students got on the main stage because of me. Cause I did two more black plays because I was one of the top director students. So now you get to be seen. You know what I'm saying? So when I look at our industry right now, I don't I, I think the singers aren't getting just no attention. Because hip hop is at such an amazing place, and then you know they not. I mean, not saying I'm just talking about R and B. I'm just talking about all genre. You don't have to, you know. It don't have to. You black don't mean you just do R and B. You do. You might do country. You might do rock. You might do pop. Whatever the case may be. But what vehicles do you have to be seen? You know what I'm saying? What vehicle? What do you? You can't model yourself after a rapper. 
and, and, and exist in that world. That's what it seems like everybody's doing, though. Right, yeah. but they're being forced to do that right. because those are the only vehicles that are, are available to them. So they got to follow the protocol because no one is setting up a, a platform big enough to make them feel comfortable enough to be themselves. So I, I, I've done little things like created um, a, a, a mixer at Apache Cafe that I started three years ago. And use, when I do writing sessions, when I first did writing sessions, it was really um, a, a lady named LaRonda Sutton. Who, I was in New York, and I had a songwriter who I was managing, and she was doing something called a writer's block. And in that room was like Mary J. Blige and all these major songwriters and all like that was in there. And they playing their records for each other and all like that. So I'm like, we well, don't got nothing like this at home. Like we need something like where all the writers and the, I mean, the real writers and the real people can get together. So I like, okay. So I, I got home and I was sitting on the panel. I mean, I, I went to see No ID. He was sitting on the panel. I said, we ought to do something like that. He said, yeah, let's do it. So me, him, and a guy named Lenny Hooks got together and we started doing something. We called it writing sessions. And the very first one I ever did, Kanye West came. Um, you know, at that time he was Kanye. He had just became Kanye. You know, the name. And so he came in, and the first record he plays is Alicia Keys, You Don't Know My Name. And when he plays that, nobody knew what writing sessions was, but they like, oh, shit, that must mean we got to play our best shit. So they <laughs> ran back to their cars. It's our queuing their shit up. And from that moment on, everybody came with their best shit, writers and producers and shit. And we had such a good jam session in that room, everybody's just like, man, you got to be down with writing sessions. And it just grew. On its own, without no radio, without anything. Then BMI got involved, and everybody got involved, and they wanted to be a part of it. And then I, I shut it down for a minute because I didn't want to wear the name out. And when I came back down here and I got a position with Wayne, I started and made it a filtering system because I'm like, man, Atlanta too goddamn big. I ain't driving all over this motherfucker to find all these writers and producers. <laughs> I'm just going to throw this event with ASCAP, and we're going to make them all come to me so I can find their ass. So then that's, that became our way. And then it blew up because everybody was coming in. We was getting all the executives and all like that. So everybody became a part of it and it blew up again. But then when I seen it getting to that point where it was getting watered down, I stopped. And then I got the position with Arrow and I said, well, I'm going to do it again at Apache. But this time I'm going to add a performance element to it. And so I added a performance element. I was going through this thing where I was trying to do a television show that didn't go through all the way the way I wanted it to. But then I, I, I felt like the branding of writing sessions had to continue. But then in the middle of me doing it, I noticed that, like I told y'all, the singers weren't getting, they didn't have a platform. Everything in Atlanta was the BET Hip Hop Awards, the A3Cs, the core DJs, the this, this DJ crew, this kind of, everything was hip hop. And I would be in places and singers would be in there like trying their best to be seen, you know, and they would just be like having to force themselves to conform to doing what the rappers were doing or appealing to the rappers because they didn't have no platform. And I just really felt bad for them, and especially when I went to this one thing that the dude say, yeah, man, so I just want to change it up. I'm going to do something a little different. So when I say I got you, y'all say bitch. And I'm like, okay, we're in a hip-hop environment. He may be getting ready to rap. And then he starts singing and the motherfucker can sing. I'm like, what well, damn, why the hell are you cussing us out? They <laughs> <Nate> dog. <laughs> and I'm like, he don't have a platform. Right. And he, and so I feel, I, it was just a pip. It's like, I got to do this. 
I got to be that person. I got to be the person that go against the grain and create this platform. And that's what I did. I just took the chance. And I've grown it now into a real thing. Now, people really, you know, they really, they, they, some people that don't know it, it's all genre. They be calling me the R&B dude. Some rappers be like, Kim, you don't like hip-hop, man. You hate us, don't you, man? You don't want to do, man, we be trying our best to work with you. you don't, but they don't realize, like, I love hip-hop, and I love what hip-hop stands for. And I still do rap, work with rappers, but now I get to handpick who I want to work with. But if you come to me, yes, I'm going to say I work with singers. You know what I'm saying? And, I, and I'm focusing on singers and I'm building this model up for singers because I just don't see, just like I said in college, when I didn't see the black students getting what they, no attention, I, I jumped in that lane. When I didn't see the singers getting their attention, I jumped in that lane. So we're doing this conference and uh, it's October the 22nd through the 25th and it's uh, at the Ramada Plaza Hotel. Um, this is our third year. And you know, and I'm I'm summoning the the spirits of Jack the Rapper, where I started. I want to create an environment. I think sometimes it's just like the dopest thing about being a Jack the Rapper was being in the lobby. Just you That's know, where I was. Yeah. Talking, I'm actually from Atlanta, so I was here talking to people in the lobby, walking down the hallway, saying hi to like we was in class, like saying hi to each other three or four times as you walk down the hallway. You meet some executive, you could be in hanging out with them, and then go eat dinner with them, and. All kind of, you just, you know, like last year we did we did the conference and one girl was, she just hung out with Troy Taylor, you know, who did Trey songs. He just like, come eat dinner with, okay, let's go to the studio and listen to these records. And just hearing stories like that make you say, that's what this is about. It's about creating that environment so that people can really be around real people and learn and, and really get that information and be ex- and experience what this thing really is about. And, you know, and that's what I, that's what I want to create. Yo, this hey, this story is amazing, man. So, so Kev, so now you you've created this environment and you got singers and songwriters coming from everywhere, all over the country. Like, what are, what are some of the I guess some of the common mistakes that you see like young songwriters or, or, or singers doing? Um, I just feel we everybody ain't dream, and we need to stop acting like we are. Like Dream went in the room and they heard the story. He wrote it out of his head. He did the Jay-Z thing and he uh, wrote Umbrella and uh, out of his head. You know, and now they think, everybody think they can do that. Everybody's supposed to write in the wind. Um, I think that we get trapped into chasing the money. Um, whatever that means. You know, we just chasing the money. Um, we're not going against the grain. We're not trying to be innovators. Um, we, you know, I think that we've allowed pop culture to dictate who we are instead of us. Because we used to be in the lead. We used to dictate pop culture. But now we, we're following pop culture. We're doing the trends. We're doing, we're following what everybody else do. We're not taking any chances. We're not stepping out the box. We're not looking for ways to, you know, to, to be the innovators. We just, it just seems like everybody is conforming to following whatever is hot and doing whatever is hot and following what because they made a million dollars, I'm going to make a million dollars. We're taking too many shortcuts and we're not really respecting the art. And then I think sometimes we get caught up in the art and then we don't know how to manage it or put business around it to protect it. So a lot of times we get took by people just doing something. Like a lot of times people ain't taking you with they're not doing nothing but doing something simple to you. It ain't nothing that they're doing. Like, you know, a lot of times we don't want to, 
We don't have entertainment lawyers. We don't, we don't understand what, that the, a business manager is an accountant. We don't know that a producer is not the person who made the track. <laughs> we don't know that a label ain't a label without real distribution. And I ain't talking about no damn digital distribution. Like, I got a digital distribution deal. Like, what the hell does that mean, nigga? I uploaded TuneCore. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Come on now. You, you ain't got no real distribution. Ain't nobody like, you can't put your stuff physical and digital in the stores. You know what I'm saying? I, that doesn't qualify you to be a label. You're just an entertainment company or a production company. And, you know, and we still kind of misuse the terms and we call shit what we want to call it and do and act like we can just dictate the way this industry is going to go. And what the industry does is it lets you dictate until the paperwork comes. Then that's when you find out who you really are. When the money is on the table and the contracts come out, that's when you find out, oh, you're just a writer. You're not a producer. You just wrote this song. Well, how do I get to be the producer? Well, you have to be the person who understands how to administer over the creative process, which means that you knew, okay, I needed a vocal producer. I, need, I, know, I know what the engineer is supposed to do. I know what I want. I know who to bring in to get me to that finish line, to get that finished product done. So when they say Puffy ain't producing, he ain't supposed to. He's just supposed to orchestrate who all the players are in that room to get him to the finish line. So when you're in that position, you're going to get the best people because once you leave them in that room, then your job is done. You know, all you do is come back later on and say, change that, change this, fix that, fix this. I want to do that. You know, a, a, a good story that goes along with that. Um, I was A&R and Ann Nesby. And Ann Nesby, um, is, I respect her tremendously. But I, there was a record that her and the producer did, and my job was to come in and after they cut it and give my opinion. And I listened to it, and, and I heard something. I said, well, Ann, can you go back in the booth and do this? She said, I'm not going back in the booth to do nothing. I'm like, oh, okay, so engineer, can you do this and add some delay there and do this, that, and the other, woo, woo, woo. And I just sat there and orchestrated the whole thing myself and fixed it, and then I went into my meeting the next day and played it. And I was like, oh, wow, that was great. And then at the end of it, she, she, when she seen me, she said, you know I was pissed off at you last time, Kevin. I'm like, yeah, I know, but you got to do your job and I got to do mine. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and a lot of times that's, you know, it's just, it's sad that um, what I love about the industry though right now, I love, um, I love that people are taking chances. I like seeing people take chances. I don't have no problem with that. I don't have a problem with people taking chances on who they are and believing in themselves. My problem with that is, is that I wish we would build more businesses than destroy them. And what I mean by destroy them is like you two right now are together, right? If one of y'all start going one day, well, you know, man, really, I could do this by myself. <laughs> I don't need you. You know, I can build this myself. no. That's yeah, you can, but wouldn't it be better if you did it with somebody who's strong as you are? Why would we always gotta be the strongest person in the weakest team? Pride. I think there's a real Pride. big problem with people right now not being willing to admit they're a number two. I think everybody's gotta be the alpha male right now and you have to put put your chest out. But sometimes it really you might be a really good number two. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And you should be like, a number two. Like Scotty Pippen. 
Exactly. Make a like, lot of money doing something that you love, like but Scotty, you don't have to be the number one. Right. When Scotty was playing for, you know, like when we was in Chicago and, and, and Scotty used to hang with Horace all the time. They were best friends, right? And then Phil was like, if you want to win, you got to take that dude, put him under your wing. And then, you know, when he wasn't hanging with Horace no more, now he hanging with Mike. His game changed, his swag changed, everything about him changed. And then eventually Horace, you know, had got traded because that connection, he didn't feel like he was part of the unit. He felt like he should have been more part of the unit. But what he didn't realize is, you know, you, you, you know you're not that type of player. You're right. a role player. And Scotty's a star, but he was, as long as he hanging with you, he act like a role player. But he got to step over here to be the star. So, but sometimes people don't know how to, like you said, I agree with you 100%. They don't know how to play that role. And, 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 and you, could be, you could be a part of a success story, and now you leave that success story to go build your business. Now you have collateral, you have leverage, you have track record, you have experience. You know how to get out of stuff. You know how to create wins. You know everything because you were part of a win. Right. You know what I'm saying? We don't build a win. I tell people all the time, I build businesses to build businesses. And I don't mean just companies. I'm talking about people. Makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Kevin, we really appreciate you coming out, man. Is there anything else you want to talk about before we get out of here? Oh, no. Just give them, you know, some contact information. You know, let them, you know, let them do their homework, you know, um, you know, like I said, I've had the pleasure and the honor of working with Jill Scott, you know, starting with a Janet, working with a R. Kelly on, you know, helping him, you know, acquire a Grammy nomination. Um, didn't work directly with Luda, but I managed the one of the writers who actually was featured on the Hollow record that got nominated for a Grammy. Um Worked with Kanye when he was 15, all the way up to college dropout. If you go look at the credits, I'm in there. You know, um, being a part of just a lot of great people's lives. Kim Burrell, man, just even, you know, just to be able to say I worked with Kim Burrell, one of the right. greatest voices in the history of our industry. Favorite, you know your favorite singer's favorite singer. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Ann Nesby, you know, what was great about working with Ann Nesby was I started with Sounds of Blackness as one of the label, the artists at Ann and Records when I first got that position and they were really nice to me. So when I got a chance oh, wow. to like, when I got a chance to accept the AR and position, he was like, Your first project is gonna be Ann That was an era, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, Yeah, I like I'm in. Cause she was nice to me. So it gave me a chance to say thank you by helping her do something she wanted to do. You know what I mean? Which meant a lot to me. I'm a, I'm about to start working on uh, um, an artist named Amber Bullock, uh, who was uh, a winner at Sunday's Best. Um, and she's kind of stepping out of the gospel into the ur urban market. Um, Michael White, who's a manager, who also managed Kim Burrell, brought the project to me. And I'm getting a chance to help her with her project. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely about to get back into helping to bring new music back to the table. I, I was going to say that, because you have done some local stuff too, Jacob Lattimore. Yeah. You helped him get it. That's an Atlanta yeah. guy. Well, you know, what's funny about the Jacob situation is like Wayne and me, Wayne was like, I want to, um, I want to, um, a Justin Timberlake. And I'm like, Jacob Lattimore. He's like, I, I know Jacob. I like, 
like so I had to design actually what happened was Michael Jackson had just you know died and I told Jacob to come do a, a, one of my, my you know my conferences to showcase I said start your set out with a tribute to Michael Jackson and then segue into your stuff and he did it and tore the room down that next day Wayne was like <laughs> We need Jacob Lattimore. <laughs> like we taking meetings, we talk, we talking to them, and then it was just, it kind of slowed down for a minute. And then later on, I was in his office, and Jeff Finster comes in and says, "I need you, you know y'all y'all working on Jacob Lattimore because I was about to start working on Jacob Lattimore." And we like Wayne looking at me like, "Why is Jeff Finster in here talking about Jacob Lattimore?" And I'm looking, I'm scared because I'm like, oh man, that's cool. man, we gonna mess this up. So he like, he like, we, I call Cersei. You're like, yo, um, take him out a moment. We gotta get him, you know. And so we arranged for him to come and do a meeting with Jive, and we found out that he had some other label interests. But yeah, after he came, they never let him out the building, and um, eventually we signed him. So you know, it, it, you know that was something that I was at the forefront of. You know, really spearheading. And Wayne called me, said, "You know, you spearheaded this, so I ain't gonna forget that." I mean, of course, I can't get the credit like I'm Wayne Williams. That's he signed it, but I was his man, and that was my signing. That was my first signing, and it was something that I pursued because I really believed in him. So, you know, I've had a chance to, you know, and it really helped because, you know, it actually got me on 106 in Park. I was actually, they, they actually, you know, they that and, you know, working with Rob actually got me as a judge on 106 in Park uh, for Freestyle Friday. You know, so it's just, you know, it's just been a great journey, man. But I'm just really, you know, excited about what I'm doing now with Writing Sessions America and helping these new up and comings and being a part of really building some new new energy into this business. So how do we get in touch with you if we want to do the writing sessions? Um, if you want to be a part of it, go, of course, first to WSAATL.com. That's our, that's our website. Um, you, you know, you want to just check us out. We at WSAATL on Instagram. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, always hashtag with that. And, you know, and then if you, um, you have some music you want us to check out, it's writing sessions, KS03 at gmail.com. And like I said, October the 22nd to the 25th, we're going to be at the Ramada Plaza Hotel. Um, we got some great people coming in, man. And, you know, and so I think, you know, for, you know, that's going to really be a part of this. So we're just trying to help build businesses, man. Like I said, and I'm, I'm here to make businesses and build businesses. You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm here for. So music critique sessions, boot camps, networking, vendor booths, you guys got to come be a part of this. October 22nd to the 25th. I do want to say one thing because you oh, no, go you're going into that, to define your marquee, the, the, the tagline of that. The reason we chose that as our tagline is because all of you are no longer shopping music anymore. So even though you're running around in the street handing music to everybody, you're literally not shopping music anymore. We're not taking music anymore. What we're looking for is your brand recognition your brand awareness, your brand value. So we want to know what kind, what are you bringing to the table as a brand? And your music is an aspect of that. And so when we say marquee, that means can I literally put your name on 
the marquee and, and people are going to show up. And what are you doing to kind of instigate that or to help that become? And some people are, you know, what's funny is that in singing, rappers naturally are going to perform their original work, right? Right. But singers are being compelled to do cover tunes to sell their original work. But what they don't realize is, is that you're really not honoring the song, the singer, you're honoring the person who wrote the song. So all you're really saying is, I need better songs. My ears blew some people's Because mind. you're upstaging <laughs> your song with somebody else's song, and you're saying, because they know this song, I'm going to sing this song. So guess what happens when you sing your song? You always sing their song with more confidence than you sing your song. That's mm. almost like you made their song, you you make your song the opening act to the song that you're singing. That's almost like you're just still opening up for them. Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, man, it's so crazy you said because so there's so many singers out there that do covers. Like you can go on YouTube right now, yeah. and there's a ton of singers that are doing covers to establish themselves, to try to get themselves out there. Cause they think that the the fans want to hear songs from other people so that they become familiar with you. Like that's that Well, that's the voice. I, that's the that's the that's the X Factor, that's the American Idol. Mm-hmm. That's all that teaching them that too. Mm-hmm. Cause they hearing these people do it and they're seeing them get deals and it's putting it in their brain that that's the way it has to be done. And so no one is really thinking anymore I got to break my own record and how to break my own record because that's what they're being told be a talent but what they don't realize is those people are glorified jukeboxes because when I worked on them shows so when it's all said and done guess what happens you go from singing those songs to singing the songs of the people they dictate you to sing you're just a jukebox. So they like, okay, now that you've proven that you're a good jukebox, here goes the next song you're going to sing. Right. And guess what happens when you say, I, I got a song I wrote, Danny D. Kane. I got a song I wrote, Day 26. I got a song I wrote, Ruben Studded. I got a song I want to do. You know, guess what happens? Now the show go off. And you do too. When we didn't hire you, to sing your song, we hired you to sing our mm. songs and other people's songs. Oh, you just heard some my feelings. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yo, yeah, this this gonna be a good episode right here. <laughs> Kev, you said so much, man. Yo, thank you for coming through, man. This was amazing, dude. Hey, man, I appreciate y'all, and uh, we're gonna try to snatch y'all and bring y'all out to the conference so y'all can talk to some people. To submit topic suggestions, email us at info at the ninety ten rule dot com.